Welcome to Bio, a podcast produced by the Biographers International Organization. Bio is devoted to promoting the work of biographers and advocating for biography as a genre with the support of biographers and biography lovers worldwide. I'm Bio member Sonia Williams in Washington, D.C. On each episode, we'll talk with biographers about their work. This time, veteran writer Marco Perko talks about his book, co-authored with psychiatrist Stephen M. Stahl, entitled Tesla, His Tremendous and Troubled Life. It was published by Prometheus Books in May 2022. This book explores the remarkable discoveries, the inventions, and the mental health issues of Nikola Tesla the Serbian-American engineer born in the mid-1800s. Tesla is perhaps best known as the designer of the widely used electricity supply system known as alternating current, or AC. I began this interview with Marco Perko by asking him what drew him to Tesla. He was the man who invented the modern world because most of the things we live with, he invented. When I was about nine years old, my father introduced him to me. And one of the reasons is Nikola Tesla was what we call today a Serb. He was born in the Austrian Empire that a few years later became the Austro-Hungarian Empire in the dual monarchy. Well, I too am a Serb. And I was raised in the same ethnic, religious, cultural milieu as Nikola Tesla was. So I have a unique angle to this biography I guess I could say that I have the lived experience. Another reason I was drawn to Tesla as I got older is that I always gravitate toward those individuals who did great things and rarely, if ever, got credit. Tesla is the most egregious example of never getting credit till recently. And uh, his great inventions aren't left up to argument. They are bona fide inventions certified by the United States Patent and Trademark Office. There's no issue here. Tesla invented a bladeless turbine engine. That engine is used in all over industry today. But I would say this, the great radio controversy. And you know, if you look at a lot of the histories that have been written about the creation of radio, Marconi and Hertz are right up there at the top. Right, but here's the- hear about Tesla. (laughs) Here's the irony of all, when Marconi made his quote unquote transmission across the North Atlantic. He did so using Tesla oscillators. Mm. So Tesla is the rightful inventor of the radio. But I've been lecturing about Tesla for years and years and years. When I say things like this, people already have etched in their mind that it was Marconi. So they think I'm making up history. I'm not making up history. This biography is backed up by over 1,000 citations. So, okay, your book is titled Tesla, His Tremendous and Troubled Life. Why did you decide to use those two opposing T words in your subtitle? First of all, I love alliterations. He did have this tremendous life. I dare say more than any other inventor, but it was deeply troubled and people just don't know that. So when I said about writing this book, I wanted it to serve three purposes. One, I wanted it to be a readable historical narrative for the general reader. True, I wanted it to be a future resource for scholars who wanted to dig deeper into Tesla, because I believe today that's where it's going. 
more and more people want to know about Tesla. And three, I hope it would give some solace and inspiration to the millions who struggle with mental health issues. Because mm. Nikola Tesla did, and he's the architect of the modern world. So there's no telling what somebody else can do. And he had no help. There was no medicine. There was no guidance. There were no psychiatrists, nothing. But he soldiered on. And I think that's a great inspiration for anyone. His major invention was the alternating current, or AC. What exactly is that, and how did it differ from Edison's uh, invention? Well, direct current flows in one direction. About every mile, it needs what's called a step-up generator to boost it again to get it to the next mile. Alternating current oscillates and runs in two directions, and, and as Tesla said, it's not saddled by the issues direct current has with distances. It can go essentially unlimited distances. And this all came off of his discovery of the rotating magnetic field in 1882. He knew it was out there, you know, because the Earth is a big transmitter. They say about two, every 250,000 to 300,000 years, the polarity flips in the Earth. We're transmitters. You know, you and I, we walk across the carpet and, and zip, there goes electricity out. Right. That's what inspired Tesla when he was seven. His cat, Machak, it was winter and he ran his hands across the cat's hair on top and electrical discharges. And that's what triggered it all for him. And his father, who was a Christian Orthodox priest, he comes from a family of them, wanted Tesla to be a priest. And Tesla wasn't having anything of it. And ultimately, when he convinced his father that he wanted to be an engineer, his father said, okay, if that's the case, then you were going to be a highly educated engineer. And I will say to you, unlike Edison, and really even unlike Einstein, Tesla was highly formally educated. He went to the finest German schools, who were the finest scientists at the time, spoke upwards of 12 languages. So he wasn't just a tinker. Like Edison, in fact, I give Edison credit in terms of a mastery of commercializing an invention. Edison was good at that. But Tesla said to him, if you're looking for a needle in a haystack, Edison would start with the first piece of hay and go through each one until he found it. He said, I would use calculus and find it in five minutes. Mm. So... What was this battle of the currents, as you write about in the book? Right. That was direct current, which Edison had a hold on. And Tesla was alternating current. And what happened was Edison knew early on that Tesla was going to be his threat. Ultimately, Tesla was able to prove the power, the efficiency of alternating current and that direct current was fading into the distance. In fact, in the end, he vanquished Edison, and rightly so. And we all benefit from it today. And just to put a fine point on it, Edison had a group of British investors over. He was looking to get investments from. They came over on a ship that the direct current lighting had failed while it was sitting in New York City Harbor. So he asked Tesla, can you help me? And... Tesla said, yes, I can, but how much will you pay me? And he didn't understand the nuances of American English, if you will. Edison said, well, I'll pay you $50,000. He didn't mean it. Mm. So when 
Tesla finally resolved all the issues and saved Edison from huge embarrassment. He said, Mr. Edison, I'm here for my 50,000. And Edison said, that's how we joke in America. Yes. And Tesla said, where I'm from, we don't joke about such things. And that was the final riff. Amazing. So in terms of Tesla's other inventions, you also have wireless communication, I, which obviously led to radio. The robotics that build Tesla cars today. Huh. <laughs> he invented robotics. In fact, he did a demonstration at the time. The uh, director of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, when he received the paperwork, said, it's not possible. So you have to demonstrate it. Well, Tesla had a boat, which is in the testing museum today in Belgrade, Serbia. And he put it in, uh, off a dock in New York City Harbor, and he had a little remote controls like you see today that they'll run uh, a drone. And uh, he was able to have this boat operate wirelessly. So that was his invention. And let me add this to it. It's real important to understand about Tesla and why he was truly unique amongst all inventors and discoverers. Because he not only invented, but he discovered. There are two entirely different things. Discoveries or forces of nature, like that's always been in nature, but it took one person to see it and utilize it, and that was Tesla. I talk about magnetic resonance. He's the inventor of the magnetic imaging, MRI, because when you get an MRI, you get it in units of Tesla. People don't know that, but ask the technician, he will tell you. Tesla's one of only 18 people ever in all of human history to have a scientific measurement that bears his name called the unit of Tesla. So what I'm getting at is he had thought experiments like Einstein. All Einstein had was thought experiments. He could never take it to the pragmatic part of it. Others did it for him. Tesla did his own experiments, built his own machines with his own hands. Amazing. And what year was the bulk of his patent? Good, very good question. And his most active period, it was a pretty long time, from the early 1800s till about 1900. And as you see in the timeline, you will see periods of great manic movement, and then you'll see the number of patents he was issued. And then you'll see the years that were low years, he was in a depressed state. So obviously his genius seemed to be in part fueled by uh, bipolar disorder um, or hypomania, right. depression, and even right. OCD, obsessive. He had it. He had OCD. So these disorders were not something that people talked about at the oh. time. How were you able to document or how was your co-writer, Dr. Uh, Stephen Stahl, able to document these uh, disorders. Okay. He had his first encounter with depression. He crashed and burned. What year was that? That was 1884. He knew something was wrong. In fact, some doctors were called and they thought, there's no hope for the guy. He wished that he had had some kind of treatments at the time because years later, he talked about it. So what got him out of all subsequent states of depression was that he was driven by doing the greatest he could for humanity. In the simplest words, he believed that he wanted to lift the burdens from the shoulders of mankind. And he did so in his lifetime. 
that's what kept him soldiering on. That and the fact that he knew his course was correct. He was a man who, from the very beginning, was able to buck what we call received wisdom. Just because scientists said it doesn't mean it's valid today. Most scientists, even today, won't buck conventional wisdom for fear they won't get a grant. Mm -hmm. He would be asked from time to time, why aren't you asking for the opinion of other scientists? He says, why? They have no idea what I'm doing. And to a large measure, he was venturing into areas no one ever even contemplated. When he gave his first great demonstration before the American Institute of Electrical Engineers in 1888, all the great scientists were there. And they realized after that demonstration, they have nothing to offer. <laughs> they just didn't. He always claimed that he was a shy man and he was very secretive. But when he stood before a crowd and wanted to tell you about his inventions, he became like a great Shakespearean actor. Mind you, he lived for essentially three quarters of his life in New York City. Mm -hmm. He lived in hotels for a couple of decades. He lived at the Waldorf Astoria, the penthouse built for him by John Jacob Astor. People would ask him, why don't you buy something, a big house? He goes, I can maintain my privacy here. And when you talk about OCD, for instance, the restaurant at the hotel, when he was gone or somewhere, nobody else was allowed to use it. And he ate a lot at Delmonico's, which is a restaurant in New York City, very famous still around. Famous celebrities people of great wealth, always wanted to be around him because he was a rock star. Mm -hmm. To watch him eat. He would chew a few times and he would pause. Then he would start again. So if somebody asked him, what's going on with that? He says, well, what I'm doing is I'm calculating the specific gravity and cubic volume of every bite of food I eat. Who does that? Nobody. <laughs> he was obsessed, yes. <laughs> Let me ask you, because the thing is, you know, he's living alone. He lived in hotels rather than buying his own place. Um, he dined alone. And he really did seem to have very few close relationships. So in terms of writing and writing about his life, how were you able to find information about his private life since he, he never married, he didn't have children? Right. And other than his college life, he really didn't have any intimate relationships with women and we don't Correct. even with men. First of all, one of the things that gives any biographer trouble about Tesla was that the only source of his youth was Tesla. His autobiography was written in 1919 and it appeared in the Electrical Experimenter, serialized in six issues. What I did was, as a biographer, I located those issues from 1919. And then I acquired several publications of Tessa's autobiography called My Inventions, because it's out of copyright. And I noticed each publisher had a little different way that he would approach it. Because when I, what I would do is when I found in another biography or source, when they source where they got it, I went to every one of those sources, going back 125 years. And then I noticed there were some things that didn't square from one writer to the next till I realized they were using different versions of that autobiography. Mm. That's number one. Number two, he had what I called in a chapter, the protectors. He had the Johnsons, Robert and Catherine, 
who took it upon themselves. They were part of the glitterati of New York City, if you will, and they became his protector. And they introduced him to high society. And so you draw different aspects of Tessa from what they had to say about it and others. It wasn't easy, I can tell you. And like I said early on in this discussion, having the lived experience, there were also things that I could see that other biographers couldn't see because I knew what he meant when he said it. For instance, when you're a Serb, particularly a male, you were taught to always put principle over profit. Right. What it's amazing how many times he took people at their word and they cheated him. Exactly. You know, for as brilliant as he was, he was naive in a personal, nuanced, social sense. Then does that also speak to his disorders? Because with the bipolar and the OCD and, you know, the manic depressive disorders there, even though he was a brilliant person in terms of his thought patterns and connecting things that most people would never connect, do you think that his mental conditions affected his relationships or his ability to discern what people were like and how they were going to interact with him? I would say yes. I would also say part of it didn't concern him much. And this was a handsome man. He, Like I said, he was a rock star in his mind. And everybody wanted to meet him. He knew all the great actresses, Chanteuses, everything. All the beautiful women flocked to him. And his answer was basically always the same. I am here for a different reason. I am here to lift the burdens from the shoulders of mankind. I will not be deterred. So people can interpret it however they want. There were suggestions at the latter part of his life that maybe he favored men over women. First of all, there's no proof of it. Secondly, so what? I, I didn't dwell on that. I only mentioned that twice in the book because that's not what the book's about. That's, so, that's a whole different thing. That's not where I'm at. And sometimes you couldn't be bothered with people. I'll give you one quick anecdote. He was at a, a soiree at the Johnson's house. And some doyen of society came up to him. And she asked him, well, what do you do? And he used to be, he liked to be a jokester. And he said, well, ma'am, I dabble a bit in electricity. <laughs> you know, he really didn't care whether you knew or not. Yeah. And that kind of drive and focus, I believe, is what is required. Mm. Maybe that also helped him overcome some of those mental health issues and obstacles. There were times when he would be going to manic state and work for a couple of days and never sleep. He was so driven. Working with Dr. Stahl, how did that collaboration come about? I was sailing boats. It was a race on a Saturday. And the third person on the boat couldn't make it. Dr. Stahl being a member of the club, he ultimately filled in. And that's how we met. So we developed a very close relationship. And he started, I said to him, you know, you ought to write some novels or something, especially with your background. Ultimately, he did. I actually edited his first novel. And that's how we developed, cemented this relationship. And then one day we're sitting at coffee. And... I started to chat more about testing and what I was thinking of doing. And Steve brought up the idea, had you ever given any thought about writing a book on testing? I played with the idea, but nothing serious. And then it started to grow from there, this idea 
of his mental health issues that people never really talked about all these other biographies I got, never looked at it in a serious way. Dr. Stahl, he is one of the preeminent psychiatrists and he's in high demand all the time. I said, well, let me start jotting some ideas out, write a couple of chapters and see what you think. And that's how it started. Mm-hmm. So then how did the collaboration work? Did you write separate chapters? Did you write together? Did you send? Um... Well, no, uh, well, I say in the book is if it weren't for Nikola Tesla, hence wireless, we couldn't have written this book because he lives hundreds of miles away and he's traveling a lot. So basically, I would write each chapter or as I'm writing a chapter, if I said something needed more explanation in terms of the psychiatric aspect of it, I call Steve up or send him an email says, this is where I'm at. What are your thoughts? And then he would go through it and he would fill in blanks. Basically, that's how it happened. Okay, great. Now, given that Tesla's journey started, obviously, in the mid-1850s with his birth in the Austrian Empire, but of course, he lived in Prague and Budapest and Paris. Mm -hmm. So, given that he lived all these places in Europe and then in the United States, if you're doing a book about this person's life and you're looking for archival material, it may mean that you have to go to these various places to find uh, material. Did you travel? Uh, it was near impossible to travel in the U.S. because I wrote this right in the middle of COVID. But thankfully, the Internet revolutionized everything. The other places I didn't have to travel because I've traveled those places many times. So the smell and taste of those cities I was aware of. But I also had help from... Uh, people at Columbia University Rare Manuscript and Book Library. They sent me reels of microfilm that I spent months going through. They're a great treasure trove of Tesla documents. In his own hand, his assistants, they go on for years. It was very, very tedious work. And this is all, by the way, in appendices at the end of the book. So if anyone wants to use those resources, I tell you where they are. The citations were a big deal to me. It's the kind of thing I believe that, that gives great value to a work like this. Because many of these biographies I have, in fact, the most famous for the longest time was a book called Prodigal Genius. You could still buy it. Written by a gentleman, John J. O'Neill, who knew Tesla. And it's very interesting, except it's got one problem. Zero citations. Wow. So what I also did in the appendices and I give you my complete bibliography. I wrote before that what I call a biographical essay. And in it, I talk about the major sources I used and why. And I talk about those sources like John J. O'Neill. I recommend you read that book, but almost like buyer beware. You want to find some other sources to support what he says. Otherwise, you know, it can get iffy. Several years ago, I was introduced to William Turbo, Tessa's great nephew. And we spent a marvelous Sunday afternoon together, and I just peppered him with questions about Tesla. He was a font of knowledge as well, because that was a personal connection. One of the things you read about Tessa is his physicalness. He stood about 6'3", which is very Serbian male. I'm 6'3", kind of lanky muscular, 
which is very Serbian male, so am I. And so he oftentimes would look down on people only because he was physically taller. But you read stories about his piercing silvery blue eyes that would like stop you in your tracks. But he had this magnetic power. And as he got older, he knew it. Right. Tesla kept a lot of details about his inventions and discoveries in his head. He didn't write it down. So given that that was a fact, how were you able to obtain the details that you write about? For instance, you talk about Tesla's boom moment. Um, Can you explain what that boom moment was and how were you able to write about it in such detail? Well, number one, he talked about it in his autobiography. Two, once again, I cast a wide net out for other sources. It happened in a park in the winter in Budapest. And his assistant was with him, a gentleman named Zito. So they're walking in this park, kind of like Frick and Frack, the six foot three Tesla and the smaller guy. And Tesla says, he's quoting Faust in German. And all of a sudden, it looks kind of crazy. And he points to the tree and he says to Zito, give me a branch. And Zito's thinking, what do you mean give me a branch? He says, give me a branch. Finally, Zito acquiesced and handed him a branch. Tessa bent over on the damp gravel, uh, shook the hoarfrost off the branch, and right there for the ages, drew the schematic for what would become alternating current right there in the dirt on that path. Wow. He talks about it in very poetic terms in his autobiography, but that was the moment that it all acquiesced. He knew it would come. He just didn't know when. When he worked at the telegraph company, he invented many inventions that he didn't patent. Plus, he was young then. You know, it's one of the inventions he invented that we all use today. The loudspeaker, but never patented Amazing. You know, the cast of characters who interacted with or who touched Tesla's life reads almost like a who's who of the 19th and the 20th century. Exactly. I mean, you talk about people like George Westinghouse and J.P. Morgan and Mark Twain. And- Mark Twain was his best friend. Oh, he was his best friend. Wow. So then how easy or difficult was it finding archival material information regarding Tesla's interaction with these men? Well... <laughs> a lot of reading. Then I went to sources that were directly related to Mark Twain. And then I would hunt until I found that connection. You know, it's interesting. The first thing I do when I pick up, because I have a pretty, spent decades building a huge library. And I only say that because I love to do that. And I think all serious writers should do that. Because of the internet and resources, the Hathi organization has a marvelous website that has newspapers that go back a couple hundred years, that they had data you couldn't get anywhere else. There's the internet archive that I used. Serious biographers should go to those sources if they don't already use them, because they're a font of information, and there are papers that they carry, newspapers in particular, and books and other documents that I just couldn't find anywhere. So what recommendations or suggestions would you offer to a writer who is about to begin a biography or even work with a collaborator, Mm co-writer on a biography. Right. Uh, A friend of mine years ago said to me, 
A writer is either writing or reading. You got to read. And what I do is when I acquire a book is I go immediately to the bibliography. Invariably, there are books in there that I read. And if I find a bibliography that has none in there, I start to wonder. It's not saying I do it better than anybody else. It's saying that I'm well-read enough and I would love everyone to be well-read, but it takes a lot of effort. So I would recommend, number one, you read a lot. If you're going to collaborate, it's really important to decide your jobs. Who's going to do what? Because if you're going to do the same thing, it's like having a partner who does the same thing you do. You don't want a partner that does the same thing you do. You want the partner to do something you don't do. Otherwise, do it yourself. <laughs> right. So, But I will tell you, the key is the reading. It truly, truly is. That was author Marco Perko speaking with me about his biography, Tesla, His Tremendous and Troubled Life. It was published by Prometheus Books in May 2022 and co-authored with Dr. Stephen M. Stahl. We recorded this interview via Zoom on July 26th of this year. To learn more about bio or to hear other episodes in our podcast series, please visit our website, biographersinternational.org. I'm bio member Sonia Williams in Washington, D.C. Alani Hodge created our theme music, And until next time, thanks so much for listening and have a great day.